Hello and welcome to this Owl Explains Hootenanny, our podcast series where you can wise up on blockchain and Web3 as we talk to the people seeking to build a better internet. Owl Explains is powered by Avalabs, a blockchain software company and participant in the Avalanche ecosystem. My name is Silvia Sanchez, project manager of Owl Explains, and with that, I'll hand it over to today's amazing speakers. Welcome, everybody. We have a great panel today on this Owl Explains Hootenanny. We're going to be talking with senior people at some of the major trade associations dealing with blockchain, crypto assets, and Web3. I'll let each of our panelists introduce themselves. But before they do, I'm Lee Schneider. I'm the general counsel here at Avalabs and one of the hopefully wise owls behind Owl Explains. We're very excited about our Hootenanny today, and especially because we have such terrific folks. Allison, why don't you start off introducing yourself? Sure. Thanks, Lee. I'm very excited to be on today. Um, my name is Allison Mangero. I am the executive director of the Proof of Stake Alliance, which we often call POSA. Um, POSA is an action-oriented nonprofit alliance that basically is laser-focused on staking and proof-of-stake ecosystems and the public policies that affect them. We are hoping that we can help to foster some innovation um, and keep that innovation here in the U.S. and globally. And to do that, basically, we bring together industry leaders, legal experts, um, and other industry participants to help fight for fair regulation and allow these proof-of-stake ecosystems to flourish. Great. Kristen, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Uh, my name is Kristen Smith. I'm the CEO of Blockchain Association, which is a trade association representing more than 100 companies uh, who are working in the crypto ecosystem, ranging from software developers to wallet providers to exchanges to early stage investors. Uh, we're based here in Washington, D.C. and primarily work on federal policy, uh, both in terms of developing the industry's positions, but also uh, advancing those positions with Congress, regulators and the courts. Awesome. Okay, Marina, you're up. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Marina, and I'm a co-founder and a director of the European Crypto Initiative, which is an independent advocacy group in, based in Brussels. Uh, we were born uh, at a time where the markets and crypto assets regulation was issued, so we were really much focusing on that in the last two years, working with uh, different institutions and regulators in this area, and we continue to respond and engage with regulators when it comes to regulation that does affect uh, crypto uh, assets, blockchain, and other entities. Great. And Tommaso, last but not least. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, everyone. And it's great to be here. My name is Tommaso Stazzi. I'm the head of regulatory affairs at Blockchain for Europe, which is uh, one of the others, uh, Brussels-based trade association representing the blockchain and crypto sector. Um, I guess uh, we also do some of the things that my uh, fellow panelists mentioned here just before me. Of course, we are very much involved in the legislative making process in the European Union uh, when uh, on everything that touches upon the blockchain and crypto sector. And of course, we are helping uh, regulators understand what we are trying to build in this sector, uh, everything that is great about Web3 and making sure also that the industry understands the policymakers as well. So it's great to be here and be part of this conversation. 
Really terrific. Well, I am fortunate to know all four of you pretty well and have had great interactions with all of you over the course of the last number of years. So thank you very much for joining us today. Let's start off with a question about policy priorities. What, uh, for each of your organizations, are sort of the three main pro policy priorities for the rest of 2023? Maybe uh, I'll mix it up a little bit instead of going in alphabetical order. Marina, why don't we start with you this time and uh, we'll, uh, we'll play fast and loose with the order now. Uh, yes, of course. Thank you so much, Lee. So as you well know, in the EU, there's a lot of things happening this year. So we're trying to cover uh, most of it. But the most important thing is we'll have the final voting on the marketing group justice regulation this week on the 20th of April. What means is that we, after this voting, and even now it started already, there's a secondary technical process with the, our uh, agencies, ESMA and uh, EBA, so the European Securities Agency and the European Banking Agency, that is working on the so-called technical aspects or the secondary phase of MIGA. So that's definitely something that is quite important. There's going to be a lot of regulate, uh, regulatory guidance uh, and standards issued by these bodies, and they might be as important as, uh, as, as the regulation that has been finalized right now. The second part is, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Tommaso, I see he's nodding, uh, will add um, similar topics, but the most important, I would say, is at the moment in Europe is the AML package, which is uh, confirmed with the AML regulation, the AML directive, and also the AML agency regulation. A part of it, of course, is covering crypto assets. So this is extremely important for everyone in the industry. And the third one is, I would say, a mix of regulations and laws that are impacting the product and also the, I would say, developers in the space. So we're talking about the Data Act that might be mentioning smart contracts on DLT. We're talking about the Product Liability Directive or Cyber Resilience Act. So those are all laws that might be also very, very important for developers or software developers in the space. Great. Thank you, Marina. Let's uh, switch over to the U.S. Kristen, what are what are the folks at Blockchain Association focused on? Three three priorities. Well, we have we have more than three priorities, unfortunately, uh, um, here in Washington. But I think top three is all we need. The, the top three I'm most most <laughs> excited about. Um, uh, the first one is stablecoin legislation. You know, the U.S. Uh, we've had. Uh, people within government and within industry call for the need for a federal regulatory framework for stable coins. Um, I think this is an issue area where Congress um, and Treasury and the White House have done a lot of work to try to identify the gaps. And we see the House Financial Services Committee uh, in Congress holding hearings and advancing legislation. So this is one that I do think actually has a chance of becoming law this Congress and one that we're working on and supporting uh, that effort here at Blockchain Association. Uh, I think number two is uh, what we're calling market structure legislation, right? That's figuring out what is the who is the appropriate federal regulator, you know, which agency, um, and what should that structure look like? And I think by doing this market structure legislation, we can also answer this critical question about how to classify different 
crypto assets, whether they're security or a commodity. So I think that legislative effort is something that is starting to get started. Um, you know, there needs to be more hearings, there needs to be more education on it. But I think getting moving the ball forward um, on that issue is probably our second priority. And then the third priority is quite frankly, one that really didn't exist at the start of the year, but it's something we're watching very closely. And that is this issue of the debanking of crypto companies in the United States. Um, the issue has seemed to subside a little bit, um, but when around the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank uh, and then Signature Bank, um, as well as the closure of Silvergate, um, it's been challenging and there's been a scramble for crypto companies to open bank accounts so that they can pay their employees and pay you know, their taxes and whatnot. And so that's an issue that we're watching closely. We're trying to gather more information. Uh, we have a tip line open on that front. And so, you know, that might be an issue that sort of solves itself and goes away. Or we may find that there is, a, you know, sort of a broader government led effort against crypto going on, in which case, um, you know, we would look to see to, to different policy levers to see if we can address that issue. So those are probably our top three. That's great. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, let's head back over to Europe. Tommaso, uh, any problems with debanking that uh, in Europe that, that you all are facing? Uh, well, yeah, that is uh, obviously a, a very important issue that we are keeping an eye on. Um, I think debanking is obviously an area where the, we may see a lot more of potential issues coming up. So that is also a discussion that is happening at the European Union level, indeed, um, but probably is not as foreign as it is in the US already. Um, so that's uh, something that in any case, it's good to keep an eye on. In terms of the other policy priorities, I have to say I'm I'm glad to hear, as usual, that you know we are in alignment, obviously, with Marina and the work that they're doing at the UCI. Because obviously, she already touched upon two of the three priorities that I wanted to to mention today, uh, being of course the AML regulation discussion, which remains quite important because we are still uh, trying to tackle how to potentially introduce uh, KYC requirements and other AML uh, rules onto this new sector of the crypto asset markets. Of course, policymakers try to uh, introduce rules uh, as they know them, as they've been applying them so far, but obviously that doesn't always work in uh, new innovative markets. So AML regulation remain obviously a great priority. Uh, the work of the level two legislation, as Marina was mentioning, from the different European supervisory authorities will be critical to define really what the future regulatory framework for crypto assets in Europe will be. But then maybe I will mention something else, uh, which of course I know also the UCI and uh, everyone here is uh, very much involved and working on, is of course the potential idea of how to regulate DeFi, right? So as we know, at least the European Union decided to keep DeFi outside of the regulatory scope for now. There are still some questions that need to be addressed on uh, the actual scope of application of the rules, but that doesn't mean that uh, regulators and policymakers in Europe and elsewhere will not, of course, try to potentially regulate DeFi. Um, we know exactly, of course, what is happening now in the US, but in Europe, at least we uh, have the understanding from the European Commission that they are happy to first understand um, the DeFi sector properly before actually proposing rules. So right now we are operating in this space, in this window of time, and basically are coordinating the input from the industry to try and put forward some ideas, some proposals that policymakers could actually be using them in their future 
suggestions on how to actually regulate DeFi. So I will stop myself there, but I think those are already a few important points that we'll be, we'll be looking on uh, for 2023. That's great. Thank you very much, Tommaso. So Allison, over to you and back to the US. Uh, obviously, Proof of Stake Alliance is a little bit more focused on layer one protocols, proof of stake issues. Let us know what are what are sort of the three top priorities that you all are looking at right now. Right. So I think in terms of our priorities for 2023, I mean, first of all, as Kristen said, there's um, there there are many many priorities that one would have um, or could have, but I think in terms of our focus, uh, three things. First. And starting broad, um, we're still very focused on general education on what staking is and what it is not. Um, we're seeing a tendency to conflate staking with lending, which worries us a lot, or just lumping staking in with other uh, what some people call yield generating activities. I wouldn't even classify staking rewards as being um, something akin to those other activities. But I think we still have a ways to go in terms of educating lawmakers, regulators, and the general public about what proof of stake is and what staking is, because I think that term has even been co-opted amongst some of us in the industry to mean things that it traditionally has not meant in terms of securing a protocol. So I think just going back to basics, step one, let's kind of take a step back and explain what these proof of stake blockchains are, how they function, why staking is crucial in order for them to continue to function in the future, and then we can kind of go from there. So that would be priority number one. Second priority is ensuring that staking as a service providers are viewed as providing the technical services that they're actually offering and not viewed as offering financial services or investment contracts. Um, we're seeing some kind of troubling language about this. This is something that Post has been working on actually since 2019, um, producing legal opinions about what the actual activities of these staking as a service providers are. Um, so there's a lot of talk. And, and again, we're obviously very focused on market structure as well, but there's talk about whether something is a security or a commodity, we've heard comments that by virtue of Ethereum transitioning to proof of stake, that somehow turned you know, Ether into a security, which obviously we fundamentally disagree with. Um, so I think we have a ways to go in terms of um, arguments about particular staking arrangements, maybe being securities or implicating the securities laws, and also just getting the word out about these underlying tokens and what should be used in that analysis, right? So that's a second priority for us. And then third, um, apropos of tax day today, um, is tax and focusing on appropriate taxation of staking rewards and of receipt tokens in liquid staking protocols and ecosystems. Um, so those are the main things that we're focused on. Obviously, we're keeping an eye on everything else that's going on, but um, that's those are our main focuses. That's great. So it sounds like um, everybody's working on similar things, but there are differences and nuances to what's going on. The other thing that that impressed me about the, all of your answers is the breadth of things that are at issue here, right? We're talking about securities versus commodities. We're talking about anti-money laundering issues. We're talking about you know, what, what do wallet providers have to do? What are staking providers doing? What does staking mean? So it, it, it sounds like the world is, uh, is using blockchain in, in many different ways. Um, the next question that I had for all of you was, uh, do you have a recommendation for policymakers or regulators of sort of an easy thing that they could focus on this year, get it done, 
and it's something that would make some real incremental progress. Um, let's see, I think Marina, I started with you last time. So why don't we let Tommaso go first this time and then uh, and we'll take it from there. Sure, thank you, Lee. Um, I hope not to steal the, the, you know, the point from Marina this time, but I think the one, at least in Europe, the one issue that we have uh, right now in front of us and that could be potentially easily solved is actually on the Data Act, right? So the Data Act, as we discussed, as Marina was mentioning, is an in important file that, however, didn't really, wasn't really meant to uh, be super important for the crypto sector and the blockchain sector. It's a, the Data Act is a file that is basically creating a new framework for data sharing between uh, participants in the IoT industry and other similar industry where there is uh, supposed to be data sharing between different companies, for example. And the problem there is that the European Commission decided to use the term smart contract for describing something that is more akin to a data sharing agreement uh, through potentially APIs or other tools like that. And they decided to use the word smart contract because they realized that they actually wanted to give a role or to identify a role for smart contracts to automate potential economic relationships, data sharing agreements, and other uh, activities like that. So obviously we were happy to see the fact that the European Commission saw the, the, this innovation of smart contracts uh, as an interesting tool that could be used also from the traditional industry. But then at the same time, the European Commission thought that for the traditional industry to trust smart contracts, they should have uh, these smart contracts used in this very specific context, right, of the data data sharing agreements should have complied with certain requirements. And these requirements are meant to be safeguards, basically, for the participants of these data sharing agreements to be using these smart contracts safely and trusting the smart contracts. The problem here, this sounds all nice and fine, right? Until you actually end up reading the requirements. And the requirements themselves, unfortunately, are to, uh, for the smart contracts developers, so for develop developers of, this, of the software, to actually make sure that these have, for example, access mechanism or the so-called kill switches. So uh, tools to interrupt the, the sharing of data in that case. So... Obviously, the industry was got quite worried about this, and together, actually, with the UCI, we are looking at this issue, and we will be um, um, doing more uh, of an advocacy push right now on this important piece of legislation. But the main point here is that we only want to see clarification that uh, this file, this data act, and these requirements for smart contracts are not meant to apply for any smart contract developed in Europe or deployed in Europe or used on permissionless public blockchains. So that's really the, the substance of everything of this, of this point. So this is why we think that is actually something easy to, to achieve because the policymakers involved in Europe in this discussion, they only simply need to clarify this intention that they never really meant to regulate smart contracts more widely, more broadly than that. So we're not, we don't think we're asking too much, but at the same time, it's something very important because we want to see this final legal text that clearly states what these requirements should be applying to so that we actually can um, reassure 
the blockchain industry, the wider ecosystem, that they will not have to comply with this requirement. Like not that not every smart contract out there will now need to comply with these requirements if to be used in Europe, because that's not the case. Great. Thank you very much, Tommaso. Maybe we'll we'll stay in Europe. And uh, Marina, if you have anything you want to add to what Tommaso said about the, the Data Act issue, but also what is your uh, one easy thing that you think policymakers or regulators could be focused on this, this year? Uh, yes, I, I absolutely agree with what Tommaso said. And um, just, um, I think he explained it very, very nicely. Uh, I think it there is, there is this thing about terminology, and I know that you have already uh, mentioned it and thought about it in your uh, tree section. I know we're going to discuss about it later, but it's um, even our explains is, is, of course, very much aware that terminology is important. And I think that many times we come from, in a way, our point of view. So we're using smart contracts, of course, in this industry in a specific way. Um, maybe the term is not the best. <laughs> it's not really representing what it is because it's just, again, lines of code. Um, but at the same time, there are other parts and other industries that um, can be seen as, again, smart contract, more of a descent, more of a, yeah, digital contract, not really uh, in, in the sense that we're using it. So that's definitely something that we need to keep in mind also going forward. Um, maybe what I would say is that, in a way, it seems easy, but it might be a little bit more complicated. Um, it's, again, continuing with this legacy that we have from Mika. So, again, Mika is finalized, politically agreed upon. Uh, we have all these rules written in the, last, um, in the last version. It's also public, so you can all access it. But what, uh, what is happening again now is with ESMA and other national competent authorities, how are they going to interpret the rules that we have today? So uh, as you know, the way how Mika defines crypto assets is that we have different kinds of crypto assets. We have stable coins that can be e-money token or asset reference tokens. We're also speaking about um, non-fungible tokens, for example, and those are excluded from the, from the regulation, which is, I would say, a pretty good news. But again, um, we need to understand what are the non-fungible tokens. They are defined in the uh, in Mika, but at the same time, we don't know really where is the line. So what token is a non-fungible one? How many can we issue in a batch, etc.? can be a very, I would say, simple thing. Um, but at the same time, again, looking into, into how uh, the guidance from ESMA is going to be finalized, but I would say that also ideally what would happen is also in a way uh, coordination and communication between national competent authorities because those are going to be really, really important later on when we're going to uh, basically apply, apply for licenses or even just um, send white papers for them to uh, look into before, um, before issuing tokens. So again, secondary level of, uh, of MICA implementation. That's great. Thank you very much, Marina. Uh, Kristen, let's head over to the U.S. And uh, anything easy you think that we can do in the U.S., that policymakers can do in the U.S. this year? Yeah, I think the easy thing policymakers can do is not overreact. I think what we are seeing right now are a lot of efforts that are sort of a, a response to some of the events of 2022. I mean, we're pretty far into 2023 now. 
But, you know, between Three Arrows Capital and Terra Luna and uh, particularly the sort of uh, spectacular collapse of FTX, I think there are a lot of policymakers, both in Congress and at the regulatory agencies in the U.S., that feel like they have a little bit of egg on their face because they were very close with FTX, they were very close with Sam Bateman-Fried, and they they were duped, right? I mean, it turns out that whole thing was a fraud. So um, I think that as a result, we're seeing a lot of, particularly on the regulatory side, but now in Congress as well, lawmakers that are trying to jump in to crack down on crypto and they're putting forward legislative proposals that don't have a true understanding of what DeFi is or what self-custody is or even the regulatory framework that already exists for centralized exchanges. And so my my one thing is, you know, don't do anything until you've had a t- chance to, you know, first uh, really understand the technology and have actually accurately identified the risks that we need regulation for. Like we don't have regulation for regulation's sake. We have regulation to address specific risks um, in an ecosystem. And so um, that my one easy thing is to, to take a deep breath, don't overreact and uh, take time to learn about this, this growing technology. Yeah, that's great. And they can always go to the owlexplains.com website to exactly. learn a lot. And uh, <laughs> we're, we, we are very pleased to be part of that educational process. Um, and by the way, they probably shouldn't overreact to the quote unquote banking crisis either. So everybody was uh, was fond of bashing uh, what was going on in crypto and blockchain. Um, and then all of a sudden along came the traditional financial system, which was supposed to be incredibly stable and well run and uh, gave us a little bit of uh, a little bit of run for our money there for a little while at the beginning of this year. Allison, over to you. Well, you know, that was supposed to be our fault too, Lee, but um, we'll, we'll bracket that discussion for another day in terms of the way that that's being framed. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Kristen said. Um, I think the, the the mood in Washington and the way that people are describing crypto and the, the, the fact that people feel like they need to do something is a big problem. Um, that said, I think there are a couple of maybe potentially easy things that could be done. And um, one, I think there's some hope for sensible stablecoin legislation. And I know that, you know, um, Kristen and her team have been working very hard um, in terms of education on that front. Um, and the other thing I, I think could be an easy thing that could potentially get done or maybe easy things that could potentially be done are small fixes like you know finalizing the the broker fix for the infrastructure bill um the one of the issues that we've been working on is this taxation of staking remind and mining rewards you know just small wins i think it's better for us to focus on here this year um and continuing the education so that there isn't anything that is done that we might regret later so that's that's what i think would be the easy thing to do yeah, that's terrific. Um, again, a nice diversity of answers because a nice diversity of different things that are going on. Um, before we wrap up, I'm going to plug uh, Owl Explains initiative that we have ongoing called the Tree of Web3 Wisdom. You can find it on the owlexplains.com website. And I know I gave all of you a chance to take a look at our thinking there. We do have five main branches for the tree and then explanations of each of those branches. Just quickly, the first branch is understand the technology. The second branch is beware of misconceptions. The third branch is classify tokens sensibly. The fourth branch is enact context appropriate regulation. And the fifth branch is think global. 
Um, and by the way, we've got our owl sitting on the second branch. I don't know how, why we decided to have him sitting on the second branch, but uh, maybe we'll have him moving around to different branches <laughs> to uh, show off the different uh, the uh, different branches as important at different times. Um, but would love to get uh, reactions uh, from each of you as to, you know, was there one branch that stood out to you? And if so, why was that? Um, Allison, maybe we'll start with you. So I think there's a reason why the owl is sitting on the second branch, um, because I, I honestly think the most important one for us in the work that we do um, is this beware of misconceptions. And of course, you obviously have to focus on the first branch and understand the technology if you are going to correct those misconceptions and use appropriate terminology. But I think so much of the uphill battle that we face is that, one, I think the vast majority of the general public still does not um, understand the technology and to the extent that they've heard about it, there are these pervasive misconceptions. So I, I think for us, the most important thing that we can possibly be doing is focusing on the second branch of that tree. They're all, they're all important and all wonderful. Um, but, but I would say our particular focus is saying like, who are these base layer participants? What is a proof of stake blockchain? I mean, we need to really, really um, go back to basics and reclaim some of the terminology that I think has been co-opted, which is in line with everything I've said thus far. So perhaps unsurprisingly, um, I would say we're, we're largely focused on the second, the second branch. Okay. Well, that's terrific. I'm glad the owl uh, was uh, prophetic in, uh, in, where, in where it was sitting. Uh, Kristen, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, all of them uh, resonate with me because I think uh, this is, you know, kind of outlines the process that we need um, in order to get good regulation, not just here in the U.S., but but all around the world. I think, you know, for me, the, the first branch about really understanding the technology is probably the most important. And I think that's why this effort is, um, I think, so wonderful, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, in the policy community, they like to skip to, uh, you know, kind of figuring out what the solution might be, or, you know, getting people kind of riled up and calling in Congress. And, and the reality is, there's actually a tremendous amount of work that has to be done for policymakers to have the amount of knowledge that they need to make good policy. And this isn't something that can be done in with one explanation or with one 20 minute meeting. Um, this is really new. And for policymakers, it's hard, right? I mean, I know I've been in the industry for about five and a half or six years now, and I'm still learning about things every day, right? And I, it's my full-time job. So um, the, the education work is maybe not as glamorous. Um, it's incredibly time-consuming, and it requires meeting the policymaker where they're at. And so constantly going back, having conversations, not just with the same 10 or 20 policymakers who've expressed interest in this space, but really working to like expand that group, I think, you know, is is really important. And so understanding the technology to me, I think is uh, a very appropriate first step and, and one that is going to be ongoing uh, for some time. That's great. Uh, Marina, over to you. Um, those were very, very interesting comments and I agree with all of them. I might use another um, animal metaphor that we're using in this space, which is a duck. Um, so many times we're saying if it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, then it's a duck, which um, I would say the lawyers and regulators are kind of used to that metaphor. 
Um, but many times we need to explain it to maybe somebody that has a more technical background or software developers. And going back to, I would say, the first, second, and also the fourth um, part of, of the Tree of Wisdom is understanding the technology, understanding the misconceptions, but really understanding the risks. So how are the risks different, for example, between different applications, between centralized applications versus decentralized applications. And that is especially important, as Tommaso mentioned before, with the upcoming potential DeFi, um, at least I would say regulation or taking into account how DeFi works, um, say within Europe, but also globally, and really understanding what could be the technical equivalent of the regulation that we have today. So if there is a specific policy goal that was achieved in the past by writing something down on a paper, can it be achieved by using a technical aspect of what we are using today to basically come up to the same solution, but in a more, I would say, automatized or digitalized way? So that's the hope, I would say, for the future of policy regulation. That's great, Marina. And as a bird watcher, I, I really actually don't like it when people use that walks like a duck, quacks like a duck analogy, because by golly, it could be a red-breasted merganser. You don't know because you're not a bird watcher. So I, I totally reject that, uh, that, that idea as that's how we should figure out how to regulate things. Um, Tommaso, why don't you bring us home? Sure, happy to. And I have to say, of course, it's tough to disagree with uh, anything that was said by my fellow uh, panelists today, but also in general with the, with the wisdom of Web3, uh, sorry, the, the trio Web3 wisdom. I think in general, those are exactly those five areas are, I think it's exactly how we see our work, at least I'm, I'm sure I can talk on behalf of the other associations as well. Those are exactly the five key principles that we try to uh, integrate into our work, right? So obviously, as Kirsten was saying, the education piece is probably the most important one because there is still a lot of education work to be done, uh, both uh, for the policymakers that are uh, working to regulate our sector, but also generally speaking, right? Everybody needs to actually educate, uh, to be educated on this topic. It's a new technology for all of us. Uh, we, even though we like to think ourselves as experts, as we're saying, we're learning something new every day. I just learned a lot of new things in this uh, 30 minutes of conversations. So obviously education remained the most important thing. But then I, th I would also agree, uh, I would say with Alison, uh, that uh, misconceptions are then what is actually slowing down our efforts probably. So fighting those misconceptions, talking with, our, with, the, with the wider public, with the industry uh, on you know, making sure that everybody really understands what is happening and what is not happening, what is true about this sector. And I can think of a lot of examples, but for, you know, one of the most recent one that we've been working on is the sustainability of the sector, right? So uh, the sustainability of the sector is a, obviously a, gr a super important issue because climate change is a, a fundamental issue that we should all be focusing on. But there is so many misconceptions about the energy impact of our sector, first of all, but also on the initiatives that are being developed within the sector to improve on that aspect. And then finally, I think the most important and interesting aspect there 
is how can we actually use blockchain technology to achieve those sustainable uh, sustainable objectives, climate change um, mitigation initiatives, and things like that, right? So those those that's the kind of work that I think we should all continue to be doing to showcase that uh, this technology can really help us in achieving the other policy objectives that we already have. And I'll conclude just by saying that the global aspects, the, the global dimension is obviously still critical because obviously we are happy to see how the European Union moved in that space with the marketing crypto assets regulation, this uh, idea that we now have a comprehensive regulatory framework that will probably attract even uh, companies to come and, and, and work and develop in Europe. And I would be actually interested to to hear from our colleagues in the US if uh, what they think about that. But so, you know, even though the European Union may have done something good, it's not going to be enough if the rest of the world doesn't somehow also move in the same direction with different approaches for sure, but with some common standards and understandings. That is the only way that this global sector can actually operate effectively uh, in a regulated way uh, and complying, of course, with important policy objectives that policymakers and regulators around the world will set, but without stopping innovation at the national borders, right? Because in the end, we are all looking at this from a very global perspective. And I think uh, I would like to just uh, thank once again Lee and the Owlets Plane team for this initiative because this is exactly what we need to do to achieve that. Uh, continue talking between the US, the EU and the other stakeholders all over the world to really see a comprehensive common regulatory approach to this sector. Well, I will say I was very excited to get all of you on the same podcast together and you exceeded my expectations. This was a really terrific conversation. It's great to hear all of the different things that people are focused on, plus the similarities and the common themes that we heard today amongst all of you. So much appreciation. And look, you all are doing great work. And uh, we at Avalabs and Owl Explains appreciate everything that you all are doing. So keep up the good work. We will continue to support and help and uh, be part of the conversation. Thank you all. We hope you enjoyed our Hootenanny. Thank you for listening. For more hopeful and hype-free resources, visit OwlExplains.com. There, you will find articles, quizzes, practical explainers, suggested reading materials, and lots more. Also, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue wising up on blockchain and Web3. That's all for now on Owl Explains. Until next time.